Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. And today uh, we're going to continue Guy Talk for 30 more minutes with a very special guest who has joined the Power Panel today. And that, of course, is Dr. Marcus Bachman, who is founder and president of CounselingCare.us. Marcus, welcome. Always good to be with. This is going to be great. Yeah. Three, four men in the Mm -hmm. room. Wow. Do you know how the format works? Uh, I have to be quiet. (laughs) <laughs> you, just, you just basically don't talk till 5.30. <laughs> I'll do that. Thank you, sir. I no. could have gone to Wendy's at this point. Yeah. My... <laughs> well, we get questions, and and you will probably give this very biblical, godly, therapist-type view oh. on some of these questions. And I want to invite questions that are also geared toward uh, relational things. If you've got a question of that nature, let me know what it is. You can text it over to 877-933-2484. Really glad to have Marcus with us, though. And Marcus will uh, be with me, just the two of us, at 530, uh, possibly, or maybe not. We'll find out what happens. We, <laughs> we've got the whole hour to figure this out. We're just following the lead of the spirit, Bill. Okay, good. Yeah, indeed. So here's a great question. Uh, why is having discipline... Uh, daily prayer, fasting, giving, worshiping, going to church, reading the Bible, memorizing scripture, often taught before relationship with God. I feel like I know a lot about God, but struggle with understanding relationship. The discipline feels like works at times, and I beat myself up when I miss any of those things. Hmm. Uh, I love my wife, and... I know it's important to do good works. Um, that involves taking time, spending money, um, being with her, and understanding who she is. That, to me, is a sacrifice that is so well worth it because um, the love that I would give, I receive back. And I think that we love God, we love Christ Jesus, and... Um, it is an honor to be able to understand his word, to to uh, have fellowship, and all the things that he's he has commanded us to do for a good reason. It's not just for you know get through the um, uh, the, the the circle of of just doing more, going through hoops. It's it's for the purpose of growing us up, and as we die to ourselves, I think we really do have a desire a desire to do those good things. It has nothing to do with works. It has to do with, I have a relationship with Christ, and I am going to uh, respond with those good works. I think that desire is the key word right there. I mean, a lot of people talk about the spiritual disciplines, that these are the things that you need to do in order to live this Christian walk, read your Bible, go to church, you know, do good works and pray, you know, X number of times a day and so on and so forth. But those are all just ways that we build the relationship with Christ. So if you have a strong relationship, you're going to do those things naturally. Now, if you don't have a strong relationship, I would recommend 
doing those things. And you say, well, isn't that a work? I can tell you there have been several times in my life where I would write out my prayer list, right? And I'd keep it and I'd go to it and, you know, day after day after day. And then you get to the point where, you know, I, I feel so close to the Lord. I don't need my list anymore. I can pray all these things on my own. And you know what happens? You know, a couple of weeks goes by and all of yep. a sudden you forget all the things on your mm-hmm. list and you're not as disciplined as you used to be. So what do you do? You go back to it. So never forget these activities are not the goal. They are not the end. They are means for you to be disciplined in relying on the Lord. So uh, I, I, somebody once said, pray, for example, as it all depends on God, but work as it all depends on you. I think I like that quote, <laughs> as long as it's by the Spirit's power, obviously. <laughs> but remember, these activities are simply, the goal of those activities is to draw closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe one one way I think about that relationship um, of our relationship with God and, and the practice that, was, that we do, and Marcus, you talked about that you love your wife, and just made me think of when I first met my wife, Hallie, when we were both 15, um, she was leaning up against the bleachers in this youth group gymnasium in which we were, and I didn't know anything about her at all. But just the, this initial encounter and experience with her, I clearly was experiencing something in that moment of her that just like made my heart soar, to use some some sappy language, but it did. And, and it caused me then to want to get to know her better in some reliable ways, which in that was like just simply asking her questions, where are you from? I mean, these were reliable ways of getting to know her. And I think, I don't think our relationship with God is too far different from that, is that we don't ever want to strip out the mysterious, the real experience that we have with an accessible God who's as close as our next breath, because we can and live, it says that in him we live and move and have our being. And and uh, and we are experiencing the Spirit in our lives, and, and God is present to us. I mean, Emmanuel, God with us, all of this language. So the disciplines or the things that we do are those reliable means by which we begin to interpret our experiences. Because if you don't get into the Scripture, if you're not at church, if you're not with other faithful believers, some of the things that we talk about, you may interpret your experiences really differently and go wonky with it. So we don't want to strip out the experience of God in our life because that's what really anchors us and is the richness and the fullness that we're looking for. But we also need the dis- disciplines as reliable means by which to interpret and understand our experience of God. I couldn't agree more. My only concern at the age of 15 if hormones were, wasn't a part of that, but I'm just guessing. I mean, I, I would say that, yeah, probably I didn't have a, a frontal lobe that was fully developed or anything, but, but boy, we fell madly in love. Uh, I'll say that. So. And, it, and it worked. Well, it was a, a wee bit of a rocky road from there. I think we only broke up 14 times, and, the, and every one of them is because wow. I was a, an, an idiot. So, yeah, we finally got it together at 23, Mark. Where were you in my life as a therapist I, at that time? I needed you desperately. I was in therapy myself, so. <laughs> you know, there's this old Kenny Rogers song. It says, you don't send me flowers anymore, right? And I think one of the tendencies is once a relationship grows in maturity, you maybe don't do some of the simple mm-hmm. things of love that maybe you did at first. And I think that's what Jesus's exhortation to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter one, it says, you, you, you says you've left your first love. What If you're a mature Christian and you don't feel as close to the Lord today as you did maybe years ago, what are you not doing today that you did before? Because Jesus says, repent and do the things you did at first. Mm. What were the things that you did when you first had that excitement for the Lord yeah. that maybe you're not doing today? And there are so many things that you can do in that venue, um, going away for a quiet weekend, uh, reading some 
and fantastic books, understanding and memorizing scripture, having accountability. There's just so much. How am I doing? I, I often ask this question in counseling. Uh, do you have relationship checks? And how often do you have them? And it's simply a question of how am I doing? And, and the other person asking, how am I doing in regard to your relationship? And it really does, if I can say, warm the relationship up. Mm. I like that. Well, this is another comment that just came in with a question and this is with a therapist in the room and two guys who have daughters this would be a great question to put out here my niece is claiming to be in love with a man she has known for about three years but recently started dating two weeks into their dating relationship she stated they were getting married later that year and they were going to uh, you know begin their courtship so we as a family See some red flags, not only the short time of dating, but also the personality differences that may become a concern as the shine of their relationship wears off. My brother-in-law has given his blessing for the union. However, the majority of the family does not share the same piece. Mm. I'm not even sure if my question, uh, uh, if I wanted to see if you have any advice on how to navigate. I'll start with you, Marcus Bachman. Thank you so much. (laughs) Well, you know, the dad has given his blessing, so that kind of complicates things. Yeah. And um, they've known each other for quite some time. Most of us who have a maturity and understanding relationships, the longer they're together in a dating relationship, the better it is because then you really have to answer and get to know each other. And if they don't have that, they're in for most likely a surprise. Now, how do you deliver that message to a young woman who's in love Uh, carefully? And I think you deliver the message with the best of intentions. I love you. I'm concerned. I want the very best for you. But even if you just read the stats or understand basically what happens for people who are married it, uh, and not not dating for very long, the stats don't look real good for uh, a long life relationship. It doesn't mean that it can't work, but I because I care about what I'm seeing here, I would just ask you to uh, reconsider um, holding off for a year, going through premarital, and then making a decision. Hmm. You know, the first piece of advice that I have given all my kids, of course, is that you need to be equally yoked. Um, God says that a believer should marry a believer because what does light have in common with darkness? So I would ask this person, is the guy a Christian or their believer? Are they both believers and are they going to be equally yoked? I also told my kids that you, you need to know someone at least through four seasons, right? Before you get married, right? Especially in Minnesota. Get, get through all four of those seasons, right? But it sounds like in this case, they have known each other for a few years, just started dating recently. And then finally, I, I would say if they are equally yoked and the guy is going to provide and protect and and makes the person happy, you know, I think sometimes parents say, well, I don't like the person, so therefore they're not right for my child. I think the question is, does the child like the person? Are they in love with the person? And as long as there's no, you know, big red flags about being unequally yoked or any kind of abuse or you, they're not going to provide or protect or, you know, some of the core things that that head of the household is supposed to provide – then I, th- I, th- I think you should accept your child's decision. You've had your opportunity to train them up, right? And now that you need to let them make their decisions. 
You are a much better father than I am. <laughs> I can only say with one of my daughters, and I didn't like the guy because <laughs> I heard about him. Yeah. I met him at the door, and I had my shotgun, and I said, you know, I'll just put this to the side, but how about you and I take a walk? And we talked about what my expectations were. I think mm. it was only two dates later he just ended it. So, But, you know, that's a much better approach than my control. Issues. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think we'll take a little break. Uh, you're listening to the extended version of Guy Talk with the special edition of Dr. Marcus Bachman. So if you have questions, uh, send them over 877-933-2484. Listen to that banjo. 877-933-2484. That should fire you up to send over questions. It's Guy Talk with Dr. Peter Kapsner, Jeff Verdorn, and Dr. Marcus Bachman. Be right back. me today. It is uh, Guy Talk Guys who talk a little extended version. It might even extend more than than uh, normal today because uh, the power panel is here and ready to take your questions. I've got uh, Peter Kapsner, Jeff Verdorn, and Dr. Marcus Bachman here. And we are uh, open to anything. Let me know. Especially if you've got a relational issue, that would be a good time to send it over. 877-933-2484. Marcus, I'm looking your direction with this uh, comment. My wife struggles with abandonment. Her father was put in prison for life when she was a young child, and her stepdad left them and cut her off when she was in her teens, her late teens. She's in the process of working through these things right now. Is there any good biblical passages to bring her to help her see and understand and work through that God will never abandon her? Well, there are are plenty of passages about God's um, unconditional love and his uh, never leaving or forsaking us. I will repeat what I've said in the past, and there needs to be a clear understanding about forgiveness and healing. And forgiveness is a decision. Um, And she may or may not be ready to forgive, but it would be helping her to be set free. It's really not so much about the other person, it's about you. Forgiveness does a remarkable job. As far as even all the emotions, the strongest emotion that affects the human psychic is bitterness and unforgiveness. And I would just say forgiveness is always the right thing to do. But healing, healing is another um, journey. And it may take, of course, time, depending on the horrendous abandonment that this woman has experienced. And I would just say that needs to be tenderly, carefully uh, walked with uh, for a good friend or a professional to to assist in uh, releasing that pain. These are no small matters. That's mm-hmm. why they should be taken very seriously. Marcus, I've heard uh, it said that oftentimes people's first understanding of God is mediated through their parents. Um, yes. and, and I'm assuming that for all of us, we have to try to somehow make the distinguishment between our parents and how we experience them, however good or not so good. And, and God, that's got to be tricky work, though. 
You know, but that's a beautiful understanding that, you know, as we start to uncover who the biological or who the stepfather is and what they what they did for damage, let's understand that pain like that should be understood. It needs to have an uncovering and the ability to say, of course, that would be absolutely damaging and just speaking that forth is helpful um and 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 actually having some time to speak that forth not just a one-time deal when it's that horrendous but then there is the opportunity and this is what i love about christian counseling that we get to introduce or reintroduce or share that there is hope in a father that abundantly, unconditionally loves you. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. As horrendous as that, that experience has been, and yes, we do, without a doubt, compare our, our, our biological parents to that of the father, we have another story. Mm-hmm. We have another opportunity to heal. And I get really excited about that. Yeah, that's one of the problems with God. God has revealed himself to man through this language of family and through the language of being a father. And that can be very powerful if you have a good, you know, father. If you've been hurt by your father, you have a tendency to take those emotions and and place them up on your heavenly father. And, I, you know, how do you get through those hurdles? You have to isolate that. And I think your word, Marcus, on forgiveness is so key to that. I think so many times forgiveness is not about the person we're forgiving, but it's about our hearts, right? Mm-hmm. And getting our hearts right first and foremost and, and leaving some of that baggage of our earthly father behind as we approach our heavenly father who is good, who is perfect, who will never leave you and forsake you. So what happens if we have... Uh, our daughter dating a guy or vice versa, <laughs> and uh, it comes out before they start dating her in the first few weeks that they have a horrendous situation of a father that was abusive, abandonment. Hmm. What would you do? And don't tell me you have a shotgun by the door. So <laughs> <laughs> I got a few. <laughs> can, I, can I interject before yes. Jeff answers? Yes. Because <laughs> I just got a note from Rosella's that she said, I like Dr. Bachman's approach. I say every young woman needs to know she is protected yeah. by someone with a shovel and a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> and any guy who is interested in her needs to know. And I think layering Jeff's advice with Dr. Bachman's approach sounds ideal. Mm, wow. What a nice mm, note. All right, good, Jeff. Good note. I, I think, you know, one of the things that a guy is supposed to do, just as God does, just as a father does in his family, is to protect them. God is our protector. He is our shield, our strength, our protector. He does fight for us. Fathers need to fight for their children. And I want my daughter to find a guy, and my daughter is married to a wonderful man named Sam, who will provide and and fight for her, and he does. And that's beautiful. Okay, so what if Sam had this horrendous backdrop? I'm still looking for the answer, guys, and mm-hmm. I know I'm not in charge, so... You, you can act like you're in charge if you want. <laughs> <laughs> so, Peter... <laughs> oh, well, you're, the, you're the therapist, Marcus. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm asking a question here. So, well, yeah, still, yeah, yeah. What, what if you know the person has this horrendous, you know, damaged backdrop, mm-hmm. and they haven't de- de- dealt with it yet? Would you say, God bless... This marriage and go ahead. Yeah, I boy, 
That's really tricky, isn't it? And, and I suppose some That's of it depends on. Yeah. <laughs> it's not tricky to him. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose some of it depends on on what has been the the shape of your relationship with your parents or parents with their kids. Uh, are they a trusted voice in their life or has it been an antagonistic voice in their life? Because that's probably going to matter in terms of the outcome of the situation. But but I think in an ideal situation, if there's some measure of trust between parents and, and kids, that I don't find it terribly helpful to just go to my kids, especially my, my young adult children, and mm-hmm. say, you should do X, Y, Z. Um, I do find it helpful to ask um, thoughtful, respectful questions and not even leading ones, like just uh, genuinely authentic, thoughtful questions. Um, so in this scenario, what would you do with this? Or you talked about earlier that there are statistics that show that people who get married relatively quickly after dating for a very short period of time um, don't tend to do so well. I would love to then come with my grown children and say, so here are the statistics. Do we know why this is? And have you thought about that dimension of this? And just come with a series of questions over time. Um, somebody coming from a horrible background, be able to say, so how do you think that's actually going to impact um, the situation? Think about all of what your mother and me brought into your life. And we had relatively stable backgrounds, but we have to talk as family about dynamics and what we don't want to be a part of in the future. Now think about somebody who maybe come from came from a horrifically broken background. What might they bring with them to you and to children and to grandchildren as well? I mean, some of these questions, I think, can help surface some of the issues in quite not as antagonistic of a way where you just say, don't marry him. I mean, that just isn't going to go terribly well. <laughs> Man, I'll drop the hammer. <laughs> That's really good. Well, I got another comment. Uh, we would send the troubled guy to Dr. Bachman. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we're just spitballing oh, over here. Yeah, so that's exactly uh, right. Yeah, indeed. Oh. Well, let me mention, now that we're on the topic, where you can find Dr. Bachman. <laughs> you can go to counselingcare.us, counselingcare.us. And you've got quite a team over there of people who are very uh, willing, ready, and able to help with all the needs, uh, including that of your psychiatrist uh, sure. staff member who I know you're quite fond of. Yeah, he's 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 quite a guy. He's my son. And uh, his wife is a nurse practitioner that works full-time for us also. Mm-hmm. But you know, there are a lot of people that will want to send their young adult to counseling. And basically, they'll come with the parents sometimes. And they, they basically want to say, fix this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think... Uh, I really like, Peter, what you're saying by asking um, thoughtful and really caring questions without uh, sensing that, you know, you're giving them the hammer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And my job is not to um, fix. Uh, I will facilitate. But parents need to do the relational job because they don't have a relationship with me. Um, And... uh, they, they, they need to hear the parents' loving perspective in a way that's going to be effective. And there are ways to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's so important to not have those questions have a predetermined outcome. I just, yeah. I know I said that before, but they can sniff it out. And I have done that sometimes with my kids. And I'm like, Dad, what's the answer you're looking for? <laughs> and then it just shuts down the conversation. <laughs> so, understandably. That's true. All right. We'll be right back with more extended guy talk. We're so glad to have Dr. Marcus Bachman joining us today. What a blast this is. So let me know what questions you have, especially if you've got one in the relational department. We're willing to take that on today, 877-933-2484. But, of course, you can ask anything you like. Again, 877-933-2484. If you're more comfortable with email, it's bill at myfaithradio.com. Be right back. Thank you. 
It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. All right, we are back with our very extended version of Guy Talk. We've never done this before. Two full hours of Guy Talk. I'm having a blast. Too. It is precedent setting. It is. <laughs> it is. It is. The pay is double. I'm, uh, <laughs> where's my cough button <laughs> when I need it? All right. Uh, the three most common questions of those on their deathbed are, why was I born at this time and place? What was my purpose in life? What happens when I die? I'm hearing little about these in my local church. How can we address these questions and still be faithful to the Bible? That is a very extended question. Can I start on the last one real quick? Yeah, pick any one that you want to one of, address. One it. of the most common in my classes, one of the most common questions I get is, you know, my, my grandmother died or somebody died, you know, last year. Where are they now? And it's like if if we're in the church and we don't have an, an, an answer to that, well, then we're failing the body to tell them about this hope that we have when we die you know, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. So it's pastors. We better start teaching this eternal life and what happens the moment you die. Paul made it clear, absent from the body, at home with the Lord. I think we need to remember that um, it's not unusual for a senior in their last couple years to have some difficulty with memory loss and thought process. That is not a sin. That is actually a physical reaction to uh, how our our brain works. And um, it wouldn't be unusual for someone to have some fear about dying. It wouldn't be unusual. Do you think I'm going to make it to heaven? It's not really even a salvation question because they've just started to lose the um, strength of their mind. And uh, their home, they're they're going to be home in heaven, regardless of how confused they become. It isn't the question of have they missed the boat? <laughs> have they lost their salvation? It's the fact that it is not. And, it, you know, it'd be beautiful if we could just say, going to pray for Grandma Elma and make sure that her mind is strong and n- not filled with confusion. And I'd love for the answer hmm. to be healed and all is good. And it's wonderful if that works, but it doesn't always work. And there's no shame, there's no sin, and we can have a assurance that that person who has made a decision earlier will be in heaven. Mm-hmm. Marcus, do you run into people in your practice, uh, or I guess maybe how, how common is it to run into people in your practice that have a sense of purposelessness about their life? I'm just trying to think of the messages that we so often give young people when they still have uh, hypothetically, the horizon of time, a, a wide horizon of time in front of them. They're 18 years old, 20 years old, 22. And we say things to them, go and find your purpose in life. Um, I'm not even sure that's the right question to begin with, but we do say that all the time to young people. Yeah. And then you get into your 40s and you wonder, well, maybe I haven't found my purpose. Maybe everything that I've been doing up till now is going to lead to ultimately the purpose that I have. And then you get to maybe 60 or so. And I'm guessing you run into this. And I'm wondering if it's even the right question that you need to go discover your purpose because I'm guessing you run into a lot of people that sense a purposelessness about your life. And and if that's the case, again, I'm just going to keep wondering, was that the right question to even ask? Yeah, I think it's, first of all, I think it's a great reason to come into counseling. Let's uncover what has caused you confusion. 
what has caused you an uncertainty. Uh, if, if they're believers, let's talk about God's purpose, his identity, his call in your life. He's a God that cares. He's a God that has a plan for your life. Have you submitted your will to him? Because you will search until the day you die if you don't submit to God's authority. Because how can you hear from him? How can you really want to obey him unless you have submitted yourself to him? Hmm. The interesting thing is, and you probably aren't going to be surprised about this, um, and I think it's a fairly sad statement, but rarely does a senior citizen enter the doors of counseling. Hmm. I think that's, that's just a side note. No, but I think it's a really important statement because also from the perspective of overseas, um, where I've been recently, they are puzzled by how often um, the current generation within America itself in particular is needing to have therapy. It's, it's, uh, and and oh. uh, they wonder what that might be. And I think it should cause us to ask questions. What is unique about the waters in which we swim here that is causing this rise of, again, purposeless, uh, purposelessness and anxiety and confusion and turmoil that is also unique to these generations? It's in my, I say it all the time. I didn't start teaching in 2004, five and six with students who um, were typically on some measure of therapeutic intervention for their depression and anxiety. Yeah. Um, now it's almost all of them. Yep. And so something is going wow. on related to this. Absolutely. And and the truth is, there are so many that, you know, have uh, built their life on a, a sandy foundation. Because if you're really doing it texting and Facebooking, I guess that's not cool anymore. What's the cool thing? Uh, Instagram. 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 Thank you. I'm too old now. Uh, you know, all that. <laughs> if your relationship is built like that, I mean, it's sand. It's just sand. And if they don't really know how to talk with one another, if they don't have good relationships, if they haven't figured out, I'm starting to yell. Okay. If they don't have a, a good sense about their calling in life, of course they're going to have anxiety, depression. Rightfully so. But that's the beauty of difficult emotions. I need to figure out why I'm anxious. I need to figure out why I'm so depressed. And if I don't have a sense of identity purpose in my life, then I would feel anxious and depressed. Hmm. So, yes, there is a high amount of young people, and I think it has a lot to do with our culture. I also think I also think that um, we are in the end times. And I know that means a lot of different timetables for everyone. And I think Satan is out to bring down anyone, mm. anyone he can, and he looks for vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think about maybe what a durable purpose might look like, meaning a purpose that would carry you through various seasons of life in the midst of the difficulty that you've described. And and I don't know of another one that is my my purpose is to be an ambassador of God's kingdom. Yeah. And and that might sound a little bit trite, um, but that, I think, is our purpose. And then independent of where you find yourself, um, whether doing something big, however we define big metrics, which I think is absurd already even in that level, um, you're an ambassador wherever you go. And, and actually, I, I, I think I thought for a while that an ambassador life would be so cool if you were an ambassador from another country and you got to live somewhere and you were you were that person that got to go to all the ambassador parties i suppose or whatever <laughs> um but but when we lived overseas we lived about three doors down from the ambassador from switzerland 
that guy's life was hideously boring. <laughs> I mean, he literally did nothing well, for most of the days. The well, way, true. I mean, Switzerland is not I, exactly active in the world scene in, in some levels. But, <laughs> but I'm 100 percent Swiss. <laughs> Just watch yourself. Watch Swiss. yourself. I am differentiating you right here. On the, I don't care if we talk over each other. <laughs> I'm 100 percent Swiss, and so slow it down. <laughs> So in representing the magnificent country of Switzerland, from Thank whom, you. you know, births all sorts of wonderful people, uh, his life was actually, it just, it was mundane. And and I think, again, when we're telling young people, you've got to go do something big and find your purpose and make a mark and leave something behind, I think we're giving them all the wrong messages. We are ambassadors of God's kingdom. Probably most days in our life, that's going to feel pretty mundane. And yet there is eternal significance happening all around us all day long if we have eyes to see it. And uh, and that involves the people, every, anybody that we're with. This is C.S. Lewis's comment, right? All day long, we are um, surrounded by immortals, and um, and that is our life. So I think that's the purpose that I think we need to speak in, in the next generation. You are ambassadors of the kingdom. Yeah. I promise you, seventy years from now, you'll still be an ambassador of God's kingdom, independent of where that took you. Servant leadership. Hmm. So many of the things that you describe are kind of admonitions in Scripture. Do you think part of it is that? Young people today are just are not as biblically literate. They don't know the promises of God, the exhortations of God, the admonitions of God. When you say they're anxious, well, God says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, you know, bring your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Don't worry. Give it to God. Be happy. That's why Christian university, Christian uh, schools are so important. It's still always the parents' responsibility to bring forth the Word of God, to be the examples of Christ. But if they're surrounded by teachers who will pray and speak Scripture, and it's on the steps going up, uh, there are remarkable things that will happen in the character of that young person's life. Hmm. So good. All right, here's a question. Um, Marcus, I'm already looking your direction. Will my desire for remarriage dishonor God? I was not a Christian when I was married for 18 years. She quit and divorced me. I gave my life to Christ now for 10 years, fasting from dating and focused on Jesus growing and have been transformed. If I remarry, will I dishonor God? I'm really wondering why he's asking that question, because he is um, an honorable person. He has asked God to... um, He's prayed. Um, he uh, understands, hopefully, that um, this is a new chapter for his life. And why would one um, want to be stuck in a chapter of remorse looking forward? God gives us second chances. I'm assuming that the opportunity to, to remarry his first wife isn't there or not possible. So then God forgives God gives us an opportunity for a second champ without any shame. And I think we need to understand the consequences. We don't want to minimize uh, divorce. But um, this is, I will say this on the other side of it. People who have the uh, a second marriage work really hard because it's understood first time a divorce is, at least in the culture, Understandable. I'm not saying it's right, but it's understandable. A person getting a second divorce, that's a tough one to understand, mm-hmm. and they know it. 
as far as what the public would say if he got a second divorce. This man, I think, is on the right track, and I applaud him, and I would just say, be released today mm-hmm. from anything that holds you back. You're, you're, you're God's, and he's, you're his child, and look forward um, with great anticipation for the next chapter. Yeah, I think this is, it's a hard one biblically, right? To, to, to mine out all that's there, but it does seem like the scriptures teach uh, two sides of the same coin. They do very much affirm the strength of the one flesh union that is brought about by God in the moment of those vows being exchanged between two people. And, and as somebody who's officiating weddings, that, that just, it takes my breath away every time that I have a chance to officiate it when two people are saying, here's the deal. I, no matter what happens, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you, you do feel God beginning to wind them together in that space. And, and what God winds together, you shouldn't try to tear asunder. And divorce means to rend from in the, in the Latin, to, to, to tear apart. But the scripture also gives indications that in certain circumstances, and in this one um, where somebody has walked away, that there is evidence that, okay, the, you are now freed from the responsibilities of that covenant. I, all I would recommend um, is that you also do your own work. And it sounds like this person has done because I don't hold a lot of, um, I don't give a lot of weight to the state marrying people. So sometimes we think divorce happens as soon as we file papers with the county and now we're freed. But I've been with people the day that they've done that and they're like, this doesn't feel o- uh, over. And, and they, they spend some time with God and trusted people and say, can you also unwind me from this covenant that was made and set me free so that in, and there's some really interesting space that happens in those moments. So I wouldn't rely on whatever state you find yourself to authorize the divorce. That is something that I think you also have to do with God so that you are free to be in covenant with another. Yeah. Excellent advice. The journey after the divorce is still a journey of healing and still a journey of understanding yourself Mm -hmm. because not until you're out of that situation, oftentimes a person doesn't understand all what's happened and what healing uh, he needs. But it, it again, it appears from this situation, um, he's on the right track. Mm-hmm. Where, where does the new creation in Christ come in? I mean, he was married for 18 years in a, 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 a non-Christian marriage, and then the marriage ends, and then he gets saved. So what about the new creation in Christ? That he's a new creation, you mean? Yeah. As born again? Yeah. I mean, I, I think what you guys said, I, I agree. God hates divorce. That's not his plan. He, he has brought something together and he doesn't want it mm-hmm. to be torn apart like Peter was just talking about as well. Um, but he allows it in these circumstances. If if the spouse left as unbelievers, by the way, they were mm-hmm. both unbelievers at the time, and now he has been a new creation, he's got his, a new life ahead of him. I, I agree with you guys. I think he should feel free to marry uh, equally yoked, another believer, and uh, and ask God's blessing on their marriage. So I, I agree with you guys. And it would be helpful to get some premarital counseling. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Where would they do that? <laughs> you know, there are all places all over the nation they can do yeah. it. But ask counselingcare.us. That would be a, uh, another place. A place that would where be they another place. That's yeah, right. awesome. You want to say something? Peter? Well, I was just thinking. I have a friend of mine that that um, he has been really honest and transparent publicly with the divorce that he went through, and uh, he came to me after that, and he said, "Peter, will you marry me?" And uh, I, would I officiate the marriage of him and his his wife? And there, in his family, was very much against all of it because he had already sort of struck out on that. But um, but it was it's this beautiful story of redemption where now he and his wife have just celebrated their 20 years together. And what God has done with the two of them mm. on behalf of Kingdom Life has been remarkable to watch. And so I think it's every encouragement for this per- person writing in that I have up close history with, uh, with my best friend who mm. walked through just these circumstances and has come out the other side. Mm. 
All right, we'll take a short break, and then when we come back, we've got time for a couple of more of your questions. Let me know what they are. 877-933-2484. My power panel is Dr. Peter Kapsner, Dr. Marcus Bachman, and Jeff Verdorn. And we have uh, Marcus with us today. So if you have a question that leads relationally, we would take that as well. Again, 877-933-2484. guys who talk and what a good job everyone's doing uh, let me just tell you we've got time for your question so whatever your question is text it over 877-933-2484 and we will address it here's a question the scripture says to keep in step with the spirit can you give an example of what that looks like yeah i can probably give um the, <laughs> I think some of the fancy theological terms, if you use the word discernment, which is a biblical term, but then um, the ways in which people have tried to describe what it means to stay in step with the Spirit, um, is is there a sense of consolation is one of the fancy words. Is there a sense that your spirit is at peace, at rest, there's not a lot of turmoil? Um, it just there, Even if you don't understand what's all going on in your life or in the circumstances, your heart is at peace about it. Um, the flip side is is desolation, meaning that your heart's stirred up, you feel anxious and alone and confused and scared and all of that. And so um, when faced with a decision, uh, and actually this is the example I use in my classes because it's near and dear to their lives. If you're trying to decide whether you're going to go to this institution or this institution, or if you're trying to decide if you're going to date this person or not date this person or this other person or take this job or not take this uh, job, uh, what you can do is, is you pray about it. And what does it mean to be in step with the spirit? Well, you can begin to discern how the spirit is leading in those moments. And, and as you maybe even imagine yourself starting to walk down that path, Oh, I think I'm going to attend that institution, or I think I am going to date that person, or I will take that job. And as you sort of walk that direction towards those things, just notice what's going on inside. Is there a sense of stirring up um, like a desolation? It just is like weird and confusing. And, and, um, or is there a sense of like real peacefulness? And, and I think, um, that is maybe more important than the pros and cons list that we draw up because all I can say for sure is I have made decisions based on what seemed to be 15 pros versus one con and everything made sense on paper, but my spirit just, there's something terribly unsettled about all of that. And in the people around me, we solicit trusted friends in that, right? And I've made that choice based on the pros and cons list and it was a miserable, awful choice. So to stay in step with the spirit is to work individually and collectively within that sense of consolation of, yeah, this is... This seems right is what the language of the book of Acts is. It seemed right to them to do this. And and that's not like an emotional seeming right. There, there, it's a spiritual awareness and, and knowing that seems right. Now, people ask the question, does God still speak to us today? And it's like, what a silly question. It's like he's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. He's given us other believers that we should seek and counsel. We can pray to him. And I think that language that you hear a lot, oh, I'm, I'm just at peace about this decision or just felt right or whatever. When you seek God, I think that peace of God, which transcends all understanding, that will guard your heart. You know, in a lot of ways, I think in the Old Testament, they had it easier, right? You had about 700 laws, and that's what you did. <laughs> right? You did those laws. Today, we got to live by the Spirit. And it's mm-hmm. like, that can sound kind of nebulous. Mm-hmm. But when you're seeking Him first, 
that is exactly what you'll do. If you live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Mm -hmm. I agree with you guys. I want to give a different perspective that may surprise you. There are some people that are uh, are highly emotional. They live by their emotions. They think with their emotions. They're driven by their emotions. And sometimes when it comes to having them listen to the Spirit, they confuse listening to the Spirit with what their emotions are speaking. Yeah. And it becomes as horrendous as, I feel like I need to have this abortion. I am living by the Spirit because I have peace about it. Mm-hmm. So I just want to say... Mm-hmm. It needs, as you guys are saying, line up with Scripture according to his principles, get godly counsel, and do not, do not um, misunderstand the feeling part for the peace of God and the Spirit of God. And that can be a problem. And I definitely can fall victim to that, which is why to have trusted friends, to just cultivate those friendships, not just because you want to hang out with people and not feel lonely, but but we need other voices in our lives for sure. Yeah. I'm curious, Marcus, if you would talk a little bit about emotions. This comes up from time to time, and there are some emotions very trustworthy and others are not so trustworthy. The, the, actually, the favorite emotion, if I can put it that way, is uh, deep sadness, mm. a deep grief. I appreciate that emotion because it often indicates that we are um, sensing the loss in our life, um, understanding that um, someone has wronged us and our marriage is in uh, a really bad spot. And so that should be grievous. And it just uh, it's speaking to our spirit that um, let me pray and ask God for a sense of how I should deal with this. Uh, that gets us in tune more uh, regarding emotions in the spirit. If we have emotions that are of anger, um, unless it's righteous anger, but typically anger is one that um, really defies, um, I think, the spirit and any of the other emotions of such as jealousy and insecurity and um, anxiety. And I'm not saying that all of those are a uh, reason because someone is in sin. I am saying that those emotions need to be understood and unpeeled to get to get the understanding where what's the source of this why is this happening because if i have been abused as a child and i've never dealt with it because big boys don't cry and men can't talk about it i should have something going on that's leaking out and it's really important to speak forth the emotions and if they get to the point of having a grieving a sadness about it we're well on our way home to healing. Marcus, I've heard um, the second beatitude or the teachings of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5 that he opens up his ministry with. The second one says that blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And, and I haven't ever fact-checked all of this, but as a reliable pastor uh, in my mind that uh, does his work in the scriptures, and he said that part of what's in this passage is that when you're willing to bring out to the surface what's actually going on within the tumult of your soul— you'll begin to actually experience the comfort of God. If you just leave it all, if you don't grieve, as you were talking about earlier, if you're not willing to bring out in front of the Lord what's what you actually feel, and you try to keep a stiff upper lip, and and for whatever reason, but when you bring it out here, God does greet that with comfort. And I think that's a lot of us are probably mourning any number of things. I, I'm pretty well convinced most people that I that I walk past in the mall 
or that are serving my food in a restaurant um, or are walking their dog down the street probably are dealing with some measure of grief just given the brokenness in the world. Absolutely true. Hmm. Jeff, any thoughts? It is. The world's a broken place, isn't yeah, it? it is. In a lot, of, a lot of ways. And I think sometimes um, we, we at church uh, don't do a good enough job addressing people's brokenness. Mm-hmm. So, and, uh, and I know that you, you do this every single day. Yeah. And I think people are, are so filled with shame, um, you know, because we're supposed to um, be conquerors. We're supposed to succeed. And, um, you know, tears don't look good on most men, according to the, the um, audience that's in the culture. Mm. I, I look at tears from men, and I am so appreciative. Mm. Mm. And I think we'll end on that note. Because I've had a couple today, just with the ending of the Neil Stavum station manager yep. uh, era. And he, he walked out of the building today for the last time. And I have to tell you, that is an emotional thought. And uh, so thank you, Neil, for your amazing uh, love and dedication and service to this ministry. We are forever indebted to you. And also, I just wanted to say it concludes that Dr. Allen and Gail Curitan Day. We are honoring them today. Dr. Curitan does not leave the position until the end of July. But we will be uh, under new leadership uh, August 1st. So that's exciting as well. But thank you uh, as well for your leadership uh, here for 20 years at the university and over at um, the media department. We we love you both, and we love you all. So thank you for your amazing leadership. And this uh, is all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining me. My special thanks to Dr. Peter Kapsner and Jeff Verdorn and Dr. Marcus Bachman for making Guide Talk today about as fun as I've ever had. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Have a great night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.